the word of the Lord. Look carefully then how you walk. Not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we thank you for your holy word and that speaks to every area of our lives. And we are gathered here, we are appearing before you that you would speak to us, that you would order our lives according to your glory, the good of our neighbors, and and according to the grace of Jesus Christ. And so would your Holy Spirit um, take these just few verses from Ephesians 5, apply them into our lives, um, that we would leave here uh, changed, uh, leave here more amazed at uh, the goodness of our Savior. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, we are currently in a a sermon series on the topic of generosity, and last week uh, we began a series on generosity, talking about God's generosity to us, God's gifts to us, and now we're going to talk about our generosity. This week we're talking about our time, next week we're going to talk about money and possessions, and then the the last week we're going to talk about our talents and our skills and being generous uh, to God and to each other uh, with our skills. And so these are all so important. And I was thinking this week about how generosity with God works. And I think that sometimes in the church, when the church talks about generosity, there's, you might not say this explicitly, but there's a feeling inside that God wants my stuff, God wants my money. We probably wouldn't say this, that God is greedy or demanding. And I will give him what he wants, but maybe it's going to be begrudgingly. And I don't think that that spirit's really how generosity uh, works. And I want to give you an example from the uh, creation story. If you read in the very beginning of the Bible, Genesis chapter 1, when God makes a world, it says it's filled with trees that, are fill- that have fruit. And he gives to humans all these different fruits for them to eat. And so God gives us this fruit, we eat them, and we take them into our body. But then you read later in the Bible, and you find out that we're actually supposed to be trees that are supposed to bear fruit. For God, we bear spiritual fruit. It's uh, love, joy. It's the fruit of the Spirit. It's love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. And so what we're supposed to do is we're supposed to take God's gift of fruit, we eat it, and then our body transforms his fruit into spiritual fruit that that we offer back to him. And so he takes the fruit that we offer him that now, oh, we have love and joy and kindness. And he says, okay, I'm going to take your spiritual fruit and I'm going to connect it to other people. And I'm going to take you, and I'm going to give it back to you as a community. And now you have this community, and so we get this gift of the body of Christ, where instead of it's just individual people who are loving and kind, well, it's a community that's that way. And then the community says, "Oh, we're going to take this gift to the community, and we're going to offer it back to God, and say, God, this community is for Your service, for Your glory. It exists for Your mission." And so there's this whole cycle of giving of generosity that goes back and forth. The cycle goes on and on. It's not that God is greedy and wants our stuff. Of course, that's absurd. God does not need any of our stuff. He owns everything. He owns the universe. It's all his. It's that God wants to have a shared life of mutual gift giving with us. He wants a kind of shared life with us. You don't, and you, we don't enter into this cycle until we learn to receive his gifts and then offer them back to him. 
And I think one of the best examples of how this cycle works is with our time. And, and, uh, and these few verses from Ephesians give some very practical insights on how we enter into that cycle with the Lord with our time. And so I want to just make three simple observations from this passage this morning. And this is what they are. Time needs our attention. Time needs God's wisdom. And time needs a redeemer. Three insights about our time that time needs our attention Time needs God's wisdom, and time needs a, redeem, or, uh, needs a redeemer. And simple verses, but there's a lot packed in here, and so I'm glad to study it together this morning. So three points this morning on generosity with our time. The first is this, that time needs our attention. Time needs our attention. You see the first words there in verse 15, and it says, Look carefully, then, how you walk. Look carefully means... You have to pay attention. You have to take time to pay attention to the pattern of your life. What, li- what pattern is your life taking? And I want to point out two ways that we pay attention to our time. Okay, The first is that we need to plan our time. We have to take time to plan our time. And what this passage says is saying is that the unwise of the world just kind of drift through time kind of haphazardly. And it's like every wind of my own emotions or passions or whatever the world is saying around me just kind of drifts me along. And so in order to look carefully at your time, you need to set aside time to plan. This is John Stott, who uh, he wrote a commentary on Ephesians. This is what he said. Uh, certainly wise people know that time is a precious commodity. All of us have the same amount of time at our disposal with 60 minutes in every hour and 24 hours in every day. None of us can stretch time, but wise people use it to the fullest possible advantage. They know that time is passing and also that the days are evil. So they seize each fleeting opportunity while it's there, for once it has passed, even the wisest people cannot recover it. And so in order to do what Stott says, you need a plan. And it's very easy to say, I want to give my time to more people. I want to give my time to the church or to more ministries or things that are really, I really care about or to the Lord or to studying the scriptures or to worship. And these are great aspirations, but it's unlikely that they will result in a generous use of our time unless there's a plan in place. And you know, I've shared this with you. My wife and I go away once a year, and we talk about what you know, some of our core values as a family. It's very interesting. You might think it's strange to write core values for your family. And actually, I just pulled it out this week and was reading the ones from last summer. I hadn't looked at it in months, actually. And I was like, oh, yeah, this is a great conversation to, to get you talking about what do we really care about. And so we start with these kind of core values. We find a verse that really captures who we are. And then it trickles all the way down to how do we structure our week What are the things that are going to happen in our week, in our month, in our year? What are the things that really matter to us? And just as you need a financial budget that prioritizes certain things in your your life, you need to do the same with your time. And when you do that, something emerges, okay? And so we pay attention to our time. First, we need to plan our time. But the second thing is that we need to build rhythms. To plan our time, we need to build rhythms. Rhythms, And you see how what it says there in verse 15? Look carefully then how you walk. Why does he say look carefully how you walk? Why does he use the image of walking? When do you walk? 
just all the time. That's what you walk everywhere. It's basically, it's the Bible's way of saying this is your whole life is how you walk. It's your lifestyle. It's the whole pattern of your life is summarized in walking. And walking is rhythmic. You know, you left foot forward, right foot forward, and it's a repeated action that happens over and over again. And so humans order their time according to certain rhythms. And if we want to have generous lives, we need to build rhythms in our days, our weeks, our months, our years that reflect that generosity. And I, I know for me, I'm, I need definitely rhythms in my life. You know, my daily routine has a rhythm of I wake up and read the scriptures and go through my prayer cards. And then the mornings are creative time to write sermons and read the afternoons or meeting with people in the church or outside the church or on the staff. And then the evening, it's a dinner with my family and we read the Bible and then go to bed with my wife. It's very, those are the important things. And the, the structure matches the things that are important. Our day should have a rhythm that, uh, around the things that matter to us. And of course, the weekly rhythm your week has a rhythm to it, and that's built around the Sabbath, and I'll come back to that in our next point. But there's other things that the church has. You know, I know in my life I have a men's, uh, a men's discipleship group. I have some men I have coffee with on a weekly, weekly basis, play tennis with my kids. These are all just kind of weekly rhythms, left foot forward, right foot forward, over and over again. It's a repetition of the things that really matter. And, uh, and what's nice about having a rhythm is you don't have to think about it. You kind of set it on go, and then it goes. And you know I've set aside time for these things that matter to me, and then I can trust that it's there. I'm going to spend time with the people that it's important for me to spend time with. I'm going to give attention to the things that need to give attention to. It's the same with monthly rhythms. You know, one thing I love in the church is the monthly meeting. I love monthly meetings because there's a lot of volunteers in the church, and it's just about the right amount where a volunteer can... I can meet once a month and then get some action items and everything, ministries just kind of move forward. And it's like, I know there's a time, three o'clock on the third Wednesday of the month, I'm going to be with these people and we're going to talk about this little project and it'll just kind of slowly keep moving forward. It's a rhythm. You see what that is? And you can create an annual rhythm as well. You know, maybe there's uh, certain times with the church or with friends or family that really matter that this is a part of my annual rhythm of my life. And so when you build a structure of your time, what it becomes is like a house that you inhabit, that you live in. And periodically, that house needs to be renovated. You know, there may be something that gets a lot of your time that you need to say, well, is this really what matters to me? And maybe that section of the house needs to get torn down and rebuilt and devoted to something else. And so that may be a question for you is, do your daily, weekly, monthly, and annual rhythms really reflect what you care most about. To build a house takes attention and planning. But as soon as you start giving attention to your time, it will immediately raise the question, what is really important to me? And maybe a better version of that question is what is really important to the Lord? If we trust that the Lord knows what's for my good, then we can say what's really important to the Lord. And what that means is that our time is like a mirror. And when you look at your schedule, you look at the things that are, get those rhythms, it's showing you what's really important to you. Your time shows you your own heart. And so that leads to our second point. So first, time needs our attention. We need to plan a daily, weekly, monthly, annual kind of rhythms of our life, of how we walk through life. But how do we determine what should be important to us? Well, that's our second point, 
is that time needs God's wisdom. Time needs God's wisdom. And you see uh, Paul's focus on wisdom in these verses there in verse 15. You see what it says? Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. And then in verse 17, therefore do not be foolish. So he's saying it's possible to be a fool with your time. And so time needs wisdom. And wisdom in in the Bible means that the Bible gives you some commandments and it gives you some principles. It doesn't give you a daily schedule. It doesn't give you a weekly schedule. I mean, it gives you a few things, you know. You come to worship, you have Sabbath day is holy. But it's kind of like the main kind of pillars of the house are there, but you've got to build the rest of it out. And you don't have a formula, but it's, uh, uh, you need wisdom in order to do it. So, um, so what kind of wisdom do we need? Well, let me point out a couple things from this passage, okay? The first is, that our time needs to be freed from evil. Our time needs to be set free from evil things. And you see that there in verse 16. Making the best use of the time because the days are evil. And the Greek word translated there, making the best use, uh, it means to redeem or to buy out of slavery, to set free. Our time needs to be freed from futile and worthless things. We all have worthless things that we get enslaved to. I know just this last Lent, uh, I gave up, I took uh, Facebook and Twitter <laughs> off of my phone. Consistently, I would wake up and I, I'd lie in bed scrolling through news things, you know, cultural battles that are happening. And 30 minutes would go by, and these are all things that really no one will be talking about in two weeks. I mean, it's just like vapor that's going to go away. It's really, and, it's, and those 30 minutes are, could be a crucial time where I could spend time with God's unchanging holy word, the source of wisdom, God's own speech to me. I could listen to him. And so, um, you know, and I, I, Lent ended. I was like, I don't think I'm going to put them back on my phone, you know, and so... But uh, from what are the futile and worthless things in our time that we need to be set free? And that word for time in this verse, kairos, uh, John Stott says it refers to every passing moment that just comes and is gone. And it it makes me think of Psalm 39, which says, O Lord, make me know my end, and what is the measure of my days? Let me know how fleeting I am. Behold, you have made my days a few handbreadths, and my lifetime is as nothing before you. Surely all mankind stands as a mere breadth. Your time needs to be freed from evil and futility. And I'll tell you, one of the key ways that that often happens is someone close to you in your life says a hard word about how you're spending your time. And I I remember this happened to me about 10 years ago. Um, I used to uh, procrastinate quite a lot on my sermons, and and I just thought I'd make all kinds of excuses for myself. Oh, that's just my personality. I'm kind of wait till the last minute. And so I'd write my sermon on Fridays and Saturdays and Sunday mornings, and I'd come... I'd come to church and some of the elders would pray with me before and I'd be like, oh, I'm all stressed out. This sermon's going to be terrible. And, uh, and so one of our elders, Art Lim, on the men's retreat, he said, we're going to, let's go for a little walk. So we're like, all right, I'm going for a walk. And, uh, and he says, what you're doing with your time and your sermon writing, it needs to end now. This needs to change. 
And of course, that's embarrassing to have someone have to say that, but it did. And I started my sermons three weeks in advance. And I'll tell you, my life's way more sane, and I actually enjoy Sunday mornings a lot more because of that. What a gift to have someone willing to be honest with me about how I'm using my time. If an honest person confronted you about the evil or futile use of your time, what would it be? Today, the Lord's inviting you to repentance about those things. So time needs wisdom, which on the one hand means we need to be set free from things that are really futile and worthless that consume so much of our time. But there's another side to that is also that our time needs the will of the Lord. Our time needs to be built and structured and guided by the will of the Lord. And you see that there in verse 17, how it says, Therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Now for many of you, when you hear that, you say, you know, my time needs to be structured by God's will. How am I going to figure out God's will? You might say, well, I'm going to close my eyes. I'm going to pray, Lord, how do you want me to spend my time? And oftentimes, whatever the the thing we're most excited about, whatever emotion or passion pops into our mind, we think that's what the will of the Lord is. Now, that's not totally wrong. You, if you are in Christ, you have the spirit who is at work in your inner life, in your mind, and in your emotions. But the Holy Spirit always works in concert with God's word. And so it's not really a good idea to start with whatever impulse kind of comes into my mind or heart when I, when I ask God what his will is. The, the place to start is with the Bible. And what does the Bible say about our time? A generous life of time begins with we work six days and then the Sabbath day is holy to the Lord. Keep the Sabbath day holy, which means to be holy means it's devoted to God. It's a whole day that's devoted. And I think both parts of that are important for our generous living. You know, for most of you, the, the most service that you will offer to your neighbors, love for your neighbor, will come through your work. I mean, that's where you're with people, that's where you're serving them, that's where you're helping them. It's some of the most hours, whether that's work in the home or, or work in a workplace, that is the place that you're going to love your neighbors yourself. That is a generous use of your time. So when the Bible says work six days, it's talking about God wants you to be generous to your neighbors. And so the will of the Lord is to work six days and then to keep the Sabbath day holy. And when we keep the Sabbath day holy, you know, the Sabbath day is now Sunday, the first day of the week. This is the first thing you're doing in your week right now is you're appearing before God to say, Lord, everything I do is an act of worship to you. I belong to you. This is the beginning of your week right now to set everything. So that's what the Bible says about time. Does the Bible say anything else about our time? Well, in, uh, in ancient Israel, they had an annual uh, cycle of feast days um, that created kind of a liturgy of the year. You know how on Sunday mornings we pass through a liturgy in our worship. It's an ordered way that we pass through the worship service. Well, their whole year had a liturgy to it and of these feasts. And we have the same thing in the church. We have Advent and Christmas Eve and Christmas and Epiphany and, and Ash Wednesday and then Lent leading up to Monday Thursday and Good Friday and Easter and Pentecost. And then usually around Pentecost we have a, a big feast as a church and you might come to Christ Church and say, you know, I, I don't have a background with the church calendar. You know, I might go to a service or, or not, depending on if I'm available. I think that's a missed opportunity. Here is a structure for your time that God is gifting you through his church. It's a gift. You didn't have to invent it. 
And to receive that and say, wow, now my year has an annual structure. My week has a structure because it was a gift of grace from God. I didn't have to invent it. And then we also have things like uh, times where our community comes together in home groups, discipleship groups. We've got church campings coming up in August. Come to church camp. Whoop! (laughs) Making relationships with God's people. Make that a part of the house that you inhabit of your time. You know, I'll tell you another thing that I think is an important moment is funerals. I, you know, I, I think going to funerals, bringing our children to funerals, when a funeral happens, it's a, it's a moment that God has marked for the community to come together and all remember, we're going to die. Our children are going to die. And to hear the gospel in that context is really powerful. I mean, it's different than a normal worship service. These are times that God has created that mark who we are. And they're important times that we need, we need to give ourselves to. And so I think the structuring of time that God gives us in the church is such a gift of grace. So we're not making up this whole house by ourselves. Now, I know that some of you will hear a sermon on, on time, and you might think, well, you know, I'm just so strapped for time, I don't... I don't feel like I have any time. And so even rethinking about building this house of time is just overwhelming to me. And if that's you, I sympathize with that. You know, my wife tells me I get too busy and, you know, we need, I need, we need to remodel some of our house time house or whatever it is. And, um, and I would say if that's you, then the beginning is to start with the basics. When God has put certain pillars in your house that are key, don't neglect those. Just start with those. And just as we give the first of our money to the Lord to say, my, all my money belongs to you, we give the first of our time to the Lord to say that all of my time belongs to you. So time needs God's wisdom. and Because we, we need freedom from the futile things in our lives, and, and we need the will of the Lord that's given to us in the scriptures and by the Spirit. Now, I want to make one more point about this before we move on to the third point. Uh, this, this verse from Ephesians actually has a sister verse in Colossians chapter 4. Ephesians and Colossians are very similar books. And uh, except the verse in Colossians is a little different than this one. I'm going to read it to you. This is what it says in Colossians 4, 5. It says, walk in wisdom. Hear that same language of walking in wisdom. Toward outsiders. Making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. In Colossians, it says part of the way that we redeem the time or make the best use of our time is spending time with people outside of this community, not just Christians, not just believers, but people who don't know the love of Christ. And all of us have people that God has brought into our lives, in our families, in our workplaces, in our neighborhoods. And it's possible that our life is so filled with time with Christians that we never have time with people that this this verse calls the outsider. And to say, I want to make time for you. And that's an important part of the building of our house. What are the important relationships that God has put into my life that I need to build rhythms around? Here's a person that I need to set up a time and say, hey, let's get together once a month. Let's get together every couple weeks. And I want to spend time with you. I want to make you a priority. And what all that says is the Lord's will for us is to be generous with our time toward him, toward his people, and toward those outside the church. Now, I know that some of you might hear all that and say, okay, that sounds good, be generous with my time, but what about some me time? 
in there? How about some, how about a little me time in there? <laughs> Maybe you're a mom of young children, and you'd say, all my time is pouring out for other people. And I, I tend to think it's not me time that you need. And don't get me wrong, if you are a young mom, you need rest and you need breaks, and those should be part of that house that you're inhabiting should be built into weekly and monthly routines. But even if someone needs some solitude as Christians, we don't think of that as me time. It's time for us to be with the Lord and to be refreshed by him. If you're having solitude, you're giving time to the Lord. You know, if you want to go out into nature and be alone, why do you want to go out and be in nature? So that the glory of the Lord will just sing to you and refresh your soul. That's not me time. That's not alone time. Or if you want to go on vacation, isn't it to be with the people that are restful for you to be with? It's not me time. You're, giving, you're still giving yourself to others. Even our rest is about entering the generous cycle of God's love. We never have to step out of a posture of generosity with our time. And so how does this cycle truly capture our hearts? Uh, well, that's our final point. And so what we've said so far is, first of all, that time needs our attention. You have to set aside time to plan and to build the structure of the rhythms of your week and your month and year around the things that really matter to you. And that takes some time to step away and do some planning. And that, that planning also needs God's wisdom to, to deliver us from the evil uses of our time and to show us this is what the Lord's will is. There are certain principles. There's commands he's given us. And there's things he's given to us by grace through the church. So we don't have to build the house all by ourselves. Okay? But the final point is this. Is that time needs a redeemer. Our time also needs a redeemer. And as I mentioned, that phrase in verse 16 there, where it says, make the best use of the time. It's more literally redeem the time. And that word for redeem is only used a few times in the New Testament. There's two times, this verse and then in that sister verse in Colossians. But the other place is in Galatians chapter 3, where this is where it says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. Redemption comes through Christ. And clearly in the Bible, the only one who can redeem us in our time is Jesus. And why is that? Why can Jesus be the one who can redeem our time? Well, you know, uh, the Bible's understanding of time is really different than both the ancient understanding of time and the modern understanding of time. Because ancient philosophers thought of time as just this eternal thing. God did not create it. It's always been there, and it just goes on forever in these infinite cycles of repeating itself. And then you have the modern understanding of time, which really comes from Newton, that basically saw all time as the same. Like, it doesn't matter where you are, if you're on the moon, or if you're in church, and it doesn't matter what month it is or what day it is, every little bit of time is exactly the same. It's just ticking away like a clock. Tick, 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 tick. And so what life is about is we are living in a machine, and we're all machines, and we need to optimize every little packet of time to, to be as efficient of a machine as possible. But the Bible's understanding of time, the Bible understands times in terms of each moment having something that is fitting to it. Every moment is different. They're not all the same. Ecclesiastes 3, this is a famous chapter that talks about this. It says, for everything there is a season and a time for every matter under heaven, a time to be born and a time to die 
a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to tear and a time to sow, a time for war and a time for peace. Life is filled with these moments. And they fit right when those moments are offered to God. He's the one who knows what is fitting in each moment. And ultimately, the moment of perfect timing, the Bible says, is that just at the right time, while we were still sinners, Jesus Christ arrived to offer his life for us. And actually, earlier in Ephesians chapter 1, this word for time is used in Ephesians 1, except this is what it says there. God's purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time. The perfect fittingness of what needed to happen arrives in the person of Jesus Christ. And so we all go through life and there's all these passing moments that are just like a vapor. And uh, they just disappear. Every day disappears. But the fullness of time in Christ is eternal and it's in him our lives connect with eternity. And so our time needs a redeemer. And when Christ is in our lives, we begin to learn from him that sense of timing. What is what's fitting now? What is the right moment? That's what wisdom is. We only learn it from him. And so you can't redeem your time on your own. You know, you can read countless self-help books, and you can become totally productive, and you can become amazingly disciplined. And guess what? It's all to serve yourself. Your timing is still off. You don't know the right note that needs to be played at the right time. To enter the generous cycle of God's time, it can only happen in Jesus Christ. So when that becomes our heart, we become people who pay careful attention to our time, planning it and building rhythms like a house that we live in and inhabit. And these are rhythms devoted to God's glory and to the love of our neighbors, people both inside and outside the church. And those rhythms don't come from the world. They don't come from our own passions. They come from the wisdom of God, the creator of time, who entered time in Jesus Christ and who is the redeemer of all things above all time itself. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, uh, we thank you for the rich vision of time that's given to us in the scriptures. You have made all times. You are sovereign over all our times. And Lord, we pray that we would take the times that you give to us. We would learn how to transform them and offer them back to you. Teach us to enter into this generous cycle that you um, want for us, that you want to share with us. Lord, we love you. Be our teacher, we pray in Jesus' name.